for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Well, good morning. Uh, can I just reiterate that one about the prayer meeting? Um, seven o'clock tonight. Um, a, chair, a church gets nowhere without prayer. And uh, we do want to encourage you to be there tonight, 7 p.m. at the Hub. If you turn in your Bibles to Philippians, Philippians uh, chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, so this, this, actually, this Sunday was actually a gap in the calendar because we didn't really know what was going to be happening, how things were going to work out with regard to the riverside, and um, and. Anyway, you, you know, we, we pray and we wait on God. And there's a particular word that I've been carrying on my heart probably for two or three months now. And uh, it's it summed up in, in, if we can go back to the first slide there, thank you for a moment, uh, laying hold of God's purpose. Or, as you see the subtitle, ownership. And I'll explain why in just a minute, ownership. But that word has grown very strong in my own heart and mind uh, this, this business of ownership. We, we talk about stewardship, but stewardship tends to be lost on people these days. So I'm going to be drawing at it, coming at it from the angle of ownership. And interestingly, it all ties in to, to what's happening uh, at the riverside. So if you've got your Bible, uh, it's going to come up on the screen anyway. Philippians chapter 3 and verses 12 to 16. And I'm reading it from the New King James Version, partly because this is how I remember these particular verses. And uh, part of this particular scripture is, is what I might call a life verse, a, a verse that I've, I've had and I've lived by or endeavored to live by over the years. So Philippians chapter 3 and verses 12 to 16. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this in mind. Uh, And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind." So great scripture. In fact, what I'm going to do is let's all stand and read it together. Let's all declare the word of God together. So I've just read it. You know what we're coming at. So let's just read this together. And can I encourage you as we read this to own it for yourself? Don't just think of the Apostle Paul saying this, but own this scripture for yourself. Okay, let's read together. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, 
God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence as we look into your inspired word. We thank you for this book, such a precious book, such a precious word. There's nothing like it. No other book compares to it. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable in every way. May we profit this morning from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, just to to back up a little bit, it's good to just read the context here. And and Paul says, whatever happens, chapter 3, verse 1, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Joy in the Lord is an important thing. One of the things I've been reading recently is that we all have a joy center. And uh, God wants us to live from that joy center. And of course that ties in with scripture. We read a lot in scripture about joy. We've just been through Ezra and Nehemiah and Nehemiah says, doesn't it, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Who knows that when you don't have joy, somehow your strength is depleted. Yeah? But when you have joy, somehow life is a lot easier. And those of us who are parents, we know something about when we raise our kids, when they've done something wrong, we want to return them to their joy center so that they can engage with life again. We don't want to get them to get down into the miseries and, and be disconnected from us. We want them to be restored in their joy So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. It's important for us to know the joy of the Lord. And I hope you do this morning, that joy that only he can give no matter what the circumstances may be. So he says, rejoice in the Lord, and I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil. I love the way Paul writes, don't you? Uh, Those mutilators who say you must be circumcised in order to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. In other words, we are the true people of God. Those who worship God in the Spirit, by the Spirit. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us, and we put no confidence in human effort. And though I could have confidence in my own effort, if, in, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I've got even more. I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a, he- a real Hebrew, if ever there was one. I was a member of the, of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done for me. He came to a realization that all his righteousness wasn't going to make it with God. And though it did have some value, it wasn't going to put him right with God. He still fell short. I I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ 
and become one with Him. And I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. And I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul was a great preacher of the grace of God. That God has loved us even when we didn't deserve that love. That God has come to us in Jesus. That Jesus was made manifest in the flesh for you and I. That He came and He lived here for us. We're celebrating Easter very shortly. And we very often focus a lot on the incarnation. But Jesus was incarnated in order that he might walk through this life obediently and then go to the cross bearing our sin. And for our sin to be judged in his body on that tree. And so he went down into death on our behalf knowing that no amount of our righteousness could ever earn us any pennyworth with God. That something had to be done. And only God in man could do that. God in man, the Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. And so he lays down his life, and we've been singing about that this morning. We've, we've been celebrating that. We've been worshipping God for that very reason, that God has, who is utterly holy, more holy than we can imagine, God who is utterly holy in every way, has loved us who are sinful who have broken fellowship with God, who have willfully rebelled against Him. God has loved us. And He has commended His love towards us in that while we were sinners, while we were rebels, while we were still in the wrong, while we were still going in the other direction, Jesus comes and He dies for us. He lays down His life for us. Wow. What a sacrifice. What an atoning sacrifice that Jesus should take your place and should take my place so that we not only could be forgiven, so that we could not only be made clean, but so that we could have a relationship with the God who created us, who, who gives us life at this very moment in whom we actually live and move and have our being. God loves us. God wanted to restore that relationship. And it had to be done radically by dealing with sin And Jesus does that by coming and being tempted in all points as we are and then taking our sin, the sinless one, the one who knew no sin, takes our sin and was made to be sin for us. And our sin, our disobedience, our rebellion is judged in Him. And He pays the price and He rises again. Hallelujah for Easter Sunday. Amen? Amen? Praise God for Easter Sunday. If it wasn't there, we would be miserable. We'd have someone who was good and died a good death. But Jesus conquered Satan, sin, death and hell and rose again. And today there is a man in the glory and he's at the right hand of the Father. And he represents us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And, and through him we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so we can know God present to us in all the ups and downs of our life, in its temptations, in its trials, in all of its difficulties. Grace is amazing. Amen? Yeah? Jesus plus nothing equals what? Everything. Come on. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's what Graham was talking about earlier. That God has blessed us in Christ 
Not with just a, a ticket to heaven, you know, just to get through to heaven. But he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Say that, every spiritual blessing. Yeah, he has. This is the staggering nature of grace. That we have been saved and we are saved and that we are being saved. Wonderful. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You see, Paul was a, thought there was a plus in it somewhere. And a lot of his life was given to trying to fulfill this law. Trying to uh, earn that kind of self-righteousness. To develop that self-righteousness which, which would give him some standing with God. And then he discovers that it's absolutely valueless. But the righteousness of Christ is absolutely priceless. Amen. I mean, to be brought into that position where we stand now totally righteous because of Jesus is staggering, isn't it? To be accepted in the beloved. Jesus is our all in all. I could just preach on that and be happy and go home. But let, let's, let's develop things a little bit further, shall we? So, so, grace. Grace is not about earning something with God. Grace is the gift of God. It is God's riches at Christ's expense. But that doesn't mean that we simply say, well, now, hallelujah, I'm saved. I can just put my feet up and, and, and watch the TV and wait till the day I get home to glory. Grace is not, not about laziness. It's not about suddenly being indifferent to life. Suddenly we've been saved. And, and Paul says in Romans chapter 6, when he's been expounding through those, those first few chapters of Romans, he, he's been expounding the grace of God and the beauty and the glory and the wonder of it and that we can now reign in life through the grace that has been given to us that is ours in Jesus. And so that begs the question, well, if that's the case, let's, let's carry on sinning so that God's grace can abound even more. And he says, no, if that's what you're thinking, you still haven't got it. Because actually it means you've died to something. You've died to sin and you've been raised to newness of life. Why would you ever want to go back to that old way of life? And it's grace that not only saves you, but grace that empowers you to live a new life. Hallelujah. So that, that's glorious, isn't it? It empowers us to live a new life. And, and when you look at this particular scripture here, you notice that now Paul is putting a great deal of effort into this life. But it's not about earning something. Not about earning something. But it's about laying hold of what God has laid hold of him for. Turn to the person next to you and ask them the question, do you know that God has laid hold of you for a purpose? It's an important question. It's an important question. Because otherwise, Christianity just becomes a thing about getting right with God, being saved, and having a home in heaven when I die. Now, that, that's good. And I'm glad that that's what God is giving us in Jesus, a home in heaven when we die. You know, we do not mourn as those who have no hope, as we were saying earlier. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Hallelujah. 
But there's more to the Christian life than that. And this is what Paul wants those who he's writing to to understand. That God now has a purpose for us. But it's a purpose that we have to lay hold of. We don't just lay hold of it with one hand. We, we grasp it with both hands. And we pursue that purpose with all the energy that he gives us through his amazing grace. And I, I want us to grasp that this morning. So God's purpose is our salvation. It's our sanctification. It's our, our maturity and mission. Wow. You know, people think the Christian life is boring. You know, who'll be a Christian? It's a miserable life. No, because actually we're caught up in this glorious life with God whereby we are engaged in His eternal purpose, which is manifest in all of the earth and will run through to all eternity. But let, me not, let us note this. The redemptive areas of salvation, deliverance, healing, and adoption are what God does. So there's things that we don't do, but God does. God saves, God delivers, God heals, etc., etc. He is the one who adopts. Do you know your adoption this morning? Do you know, as Graham was reading earlier, that we are a son? You know, modern versions use sons and daughters, but we lose something there because the daughter didn't inherit in New Testament days. So when we say sons, we're talking about inheritors. When you read that, sisters, when you read sons, we're talking about you as well. We are all inheritors in Christ. Hallelujah. Because we have been adopted. And that's a glorious truth. So the redemptive areas then of salvation, deliverance, healing, adoption are what God does. But then there are certain things that we do. The job of maturity, I think I said this the other week, the job of maturity is ours. It is yours to do. God will not do it. It's not a byproduct of our salvation. Uh, it's not a spiritual gift. We are expected to renew our minds. We're expected to put on the new man. We're expected to pursue the purposes of God. Those purposes in, uh, encompass us as individuals. They encompass us, those of us who are married. They encompass us as couples. For those who are parents, they encompass us as, as parents. Uh, for those who are, of us who are out in the workplace, they encompass life out there in the workplace and so on. But many of us get stuck at this particular point. We kind of say, well, let go and let God. And, and, and that kind of theology still exists there. And there's a, there is a place where we say, yeah, over to you, God. But you can resign on that because uh, the, the, there is a re very real danger that in, in, in going down that route, we enter into passivity. And the one who likes us to get, get into passivity is the devil. The devil likes a passive state of heart and mind and action or inactivity. And he will work in and through that. It's a dangerous place to be. If you're, if you're passive in your prayer life, the devil has the upper hand. If you're passive in your approach to Scripture, the devil has the upper hand. If you're passive in the way you look at church, the devil has the upper hand. No, God wants us on the front foot. Let me ask you a, a question this morning. Are you a front foot Christian or are you a back foot Christian? Yeah? Are you a front foot Christian? Yes, or are you a back foot Christian? You might not want to answer that. You might just want to acknowledge it in your heart if you are. You see, if you're in a back foot position, you're in danger of being toppled, aren't you? But if you're in a front foot position, you're in a position where you can move forward, you can advance. I'll tell you a story. I, I love skating. My wife doesn't allow me to skate these days for various reasons. And uh, you can find out the stories if you like. I mean, I've knocked myself out twice skating. Uh, you know, totally out. Boom, boom. You know, and... Uh, 
And, you know, and even Debbie last time got that happened. We took some youth skating, and suddenly the siren went off. They wanted everyone to clear the ice rink, and, and Debbie immediately knew, thought, that's Dad. <laughs> yeah. And, and what a, when, when you're skating, you're on, you, you have to be on the front foot, don't you? You have to be on that front foot going along like that. Well, as I'm skating around, and I, I like to build up a little bit of speed, and as I'm skating around, I, I suddenly see somebody that I know go across my path, you know, a bit further away. They go across, and, and I see them, and for, for that brief moment, I forgot that I was skating. Uh, <laughs> do you know what I have? Like, for that brief moment, I forgot that I was skating, skating and I stood upright like, upright like that and went, hi. Well, you know what happens? The moment you do that when you're skating, you're on your back foot, and I had one of those cartoon moments when suddenly you're in midair and everything is going before you. I am about to hit the ground with a whopping great bump, you know? And sure enough, that, that's what happened. But, you know, God wants us to be front foot Christians. He, want, he doesn't want us on the back foot. If we're on the back foot, the devil can get the better of us. And so um, let me just bring in about this word, this word ownership. It... it it sounds like a possessive word to us, and I want that to be the case, because this is a word I've been living with. Stewardship is kind of lost within us. It's, it's something that somebody else owns, and we kind of, we kind of manage it, bom, 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 bom. But ownership is, is, is something quite different, and I do believe that God wants us to own our lives in the right sense. I do believe that God wants us to own our marriages. I do believe that God wants us to own our family life, etc. And I do believe God wants us to own the church, uh, to say, this is my church. I don't just go to church, you know. We don't go to church. This is my church. I own uh, my church, etc. So I just want to you know, drive that home, and we'll pick up on that as we, we go through. So there is a sense in which God wants us to own our lives. Yes, obviously in Christ, under his, his sovereignty, under his lordship, etc., to own them. Uh, but the enemy wants to take us out of that. And I want to ask you the question, how are you owning life this morning? And listen, one or two big things that come up as we, we go through. So it's through this. So we often get stuck. I've got stuck numerous times in my Christian life. Feel like you're wading through treacle, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like you're going nowhere. And, and how do you get out of this? We, we get stuck. Let's be honest. We get stuck and we level off in our spiritual growth. And so what hinders us? And very often what hinders us is what's behind. Did you notice in the text there? Forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind. Frequently we're, we're kept in check by our past. Suddenly things can surface that we've forgotten about and, and they can plague our hearts and our minds and our emotions and our, our re- relationships. There's, you know, there's unhealed trauma and pain which can be the absence of love and care. It can be about bad things that, have, that happened to us that shouldn't have. But somehow they, they dog our path, and until we can find a place of, of healing and wholeness, they're always holding us back. So Paul says, forget what is behind. But there are certain things that come to the fore, and we say, I can't it, because it's very present to me, it's very real to me, and I don't know what to do with it, I don't know how to deal with it. Uh, and there are disappointments. I guess everyone in this room has had a disappointment in one way or another. Things that just haven't worked out. People that have, have let us down. Words that haven't come to pass. They're, they're big things. Maybe you've had a prophetic word. You've had a word over your life and it's not kind of like, you kind of where, where was that? What happened to that? 
and you don't know what to do with it. I think as we've, we've looked at the story of Israel in, in Ezra and Nehemiah, and, 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 and they were suffering big disappointment as they, they went back to that land. There were so few of them because, compared to all those that were taken away into captivity. And, and then when they, they started building, it kind of wasn't really kind of coming together as they had imagined. And, and, and so they, they erected the altar, they, they began to build the temple, and kind of the temple, like, well, this doesn't match what we had before, and, 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 and the walls and so on, and you find them sort of advancing and retreating and kind of like, what's going on here? What are you doing, Lord? You see, they were interpreting their, their present experience with God and God's unfolding purpose by what had happened in the past. And because of that, they were experiencing disappointment. This, this temple isn't half so grand as the one that went before it. What is God doing? How do you understand this? How are we to, and, and so disappointment roots itself into their lives, roots itself into our lives. And it could be that you've had a word that, uh, that God has spoken and you've been interpreting it by your past. And actually God wants to reshape that word through the present and the future. And that involves just sharing with others and, and just being willing to listen to God in this moment of time. And I've known experiences like that. I can remember when I first felt the call of God into the ministry. And I immediately, I have to look back, I immediately catalogued how God was going to do that and what that would look like. But then I look as, as time unfolded and there were times when I just, I just weep and say, God, I don't understand how you're working there's certain things I thought you wanted, and I tried to follow that, and it didn't happen, and bomb, 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 and I'm kind of here, and I just, I'm just muddled up, Lord. I don't know what to do. And, and then God began to, as I was willing to process the pain, as I was willing to work through that, listen to God, allow him to, because you see, we, we allow our past to shape words. We allow our experiences to shape words, and actually sometimes God wants us to bring us into another occasion. Hang on a minute. Well, we look at it and say, actually, I see that word in a different way now. I suddenly see something. I suddenly see it in a different way. So, so you've got there those things that hold us back. You see, we, we cannot advance. We can't forget our past unless it has been healed. We need to note that. You cannot forget the past unless it's been healed. I wouldn't have preached this kind of sermon at one time because I was that kind of Christian that was a bit like stiff British upper lip, you know. Okay, we just believe God and we get on with it. doesn't matter what your past is. But then over those years, God has begun to deal with those things that I had buried, that I had not worked through. And don't you hate it when that comes up? When something you, 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 you've forgotten about just comes up, and you think, God, why is this coming up now? Why? The reason is because God wants to heal us. God wants us to, to be whole in the present in order that we might advance into his greater future for us and not be bound by our past. God is good, isn't he? God is good, isn't he? Yeah. So trauma and pain, disappointments, Maturity involves the, the recognition and ability to embrace our wounds. You see, this is a sign of maturity when we arrive at the point, well, I now see that wound and I feel it. And now I'm in a place where I want God to heal it. 
Very often we live in a world, and even as Christians, we can live in a world of denial. It'll go away. I go and do something that will distract me. It'll go away. I take something, I drink something, it'll go away. And the reality is it doesn't. And a sign of maturity, of advancement, is when we can stare those traumas, when we can stare those disappointments in the face and say, God, heal me. Heal me. Heal me. We can't leave what's behind unless it's been healed. If that's you this morning, God wants to bring you healing. God wants to heal you of those traumas that hold you back in the present. You see, created that slide like that for a deliberate reason because when you're in that position, the past speaks louder than the present. And it doesn't help you to see the future very clearly, does it? Maybe that's you this morning, that your past stands out like that. God can heal, and he wants to heal. Let me just pray. Father, if there are any here this morning who can't look at the present, let alone the future, because of experiences of the past, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help them to be able to face it and to find that place of healing in Jesus through your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you not only want to save us, you want to deliver, you want to heal us. You want to restore us in every way. Lord, we don't want to be bound by our past. We want to be bound by the future that you have for us. And so I just pray for any this morning who are in this situation who just feel bound up where the past is shouting louder than the present or the future. Lord, to be willing to face that place and come to that place of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you're in that position, one of the things that can help you is Freedom in Christ, a course that we run. And it's a great course. Many in the church have done it, but it helps people to work through those things and to find their identity in Christ and be able to look forward to their future. And if you'd like to know more about that, please speak to to Paul and Barbara or to Roy and Viv, and and they will supply you with information. It's It's a great course. But listen to this. Out of our greatest pain can come our most profound personal mission. Yeah? Out of our greatest pain can come our most profound personal mission. And there are people here in Gateway who know something of that. Wouldn't have chosen the way that you, you are, the pain that you have gone through. But out of your pain has come tremendous personal mission. And we salute you for that. We honor you. You see, the devil would like to just rub it in our face. He would just like to make us really feel that. But out of our greatest pain can come the most profound mission. It's happened for many people across the life of the church. You go and read church history. Some people's pain and the profound mission that resulted from it. Now, how many of you are aware of the seven deadly sins? Okay. 
we could have the next slide, please. There we are. Probably most of those we, we know something about. Pride, lust, greed, envy, sloth, wrath, and gluttony. Don't talk much about them these days, do we? But they are indeed seven deadly sins. And I want to focus on one particular one this morning. And it's not pride, it's not envy, it's not gluttony, it's not lust, it's not anger or greed and covetousness. It is this word here, sloth. Will you say it with me? Sloth. I don't know whether you're supposed to say sloth or sloth. So, <laughs> um, may, may depend which part of the country you come from, as we find out at times, don't we? <laughs> you know whether it's, uh, yeah, anyway, we won't go there. But uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to use the word sloth, but if you think it's sloth, you can think sloth, okay? Just do the translation in your head. But sloth, it's an interesting word. Now, I have to confess that until I'd given it thought recently, I really kind of got this word wrong because I used to think of sloth as the great couch potato. You know? The person who's just lazy. Lazy. You know, lazy big time. You know, life is just, give me a nice cup of coffee and a good film, and that's my life. I love to play, but, you know, work, you can have that. Okay? If it involves effort, I'm not signing up. So we tend to think of sloth as laziness or being a couch potato. And one definition that may be given to sloth is the habitual disinclination to exertion. I love that phrase. The habitual disinclination to exertion. It's also been defined like this. One, carelessness. Two, unwillingness to act. Three, half-hearted effort. And four, becoming increasingly discouraged by any possible difficulty. For those of you who are not aware, but there's a group of people known as the Desert Fathers who used to go out into the desert and men of God and, and attempt to be spiritual. And uh, the Desert, Desert Fathers referred to sloth as the noonday demon. Okay, the noonday demon. And they had very good reason for thinking of sloth as the noonday demon because at, at noonday the sun was at its hottest. And at noonday, when the sun was at its hottest, time seemed to drag. Okay? Ever been there? Where time seems to drag. Seemed to just stand still. And they find themselves suddenly asking this question. What on earth are we doing here? We must be mad. There must be a, a better life than this. Why can't we be somewhere else? And surely God is everywhere else, so why don't we just go somewhere else and try and do this spiritual stuff? I wonder where you can see where this is going. But in a modern sense, sloth is just this. My job's hard. Maybe there's a better job somewhere. My marriage is going through a difficult time. Maybe there's a better partner somewhere. 
Those relationships, boy, is that hard work. Maybe I just need to opt out and go somewhere else. Church has its challenges. Maybe there's a better church somewhere. Temptation to slow occurs when it's hard, when it's challenging, when there's conflict, when there's misunderstanding. So, thinking of sloth then, rather than being a couch potato, it's more akin to there must be something better than this. Oh, have you ever thought that? I have. There must be something better than this, a better place, a better church, a a better wife, a better husband. A workaholic, you see, a workaholic can actually be slothful. This might surprise you. You see, they can put all their energy into their work to avoid the situation at home. They can put all their energy into something in order to avoid dealing with that particular situation. So in other words, slothfulness is about diversion. It's about you know there's something that you really need to deal with, you really need to face, but actually... You can't, you haven't got the strength or the energy, the willingness to do so. And so it's avoidance. Yeah, some things are irksome, aren't they? They're irksome. And we want to avoid them. And at the back of sloth is this question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Frantic activism is sometimes used to avoid spiritual things. I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to get to church or to go to community group be at the prayer meeting, too busy to pray, too busy to study the word, that is sloth. That's shocking when you read it like that. And I look back over my life and I thought, oh God, I've been more guilty of sloth than whatever I realized. I could see myself. There have been times when I wanted to avoid things. Times when I put all my energy in something else in order to avoid something. And there's a verse that I never really understood. And that's uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. And and again, the the New King James Version, because that's the one that I have in my mind. Do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be slothful in zeal. The word has a certain sense of sloth about it, doesn't it? Do you see what I mean? Do not, and I used to think, how can you be slothful in zeal? Do you see what I mean? How can you be slothful in zeal? And you see it right there. You can put your energy into other things that you're happy doing, you know, that kind of give you some pleasure and some enjoyment, but you avoid the things that need to be done. That is being slothful in zeal. So there's a lot of energy going somewhere, but you're not dealing with what you need to be dealing with. 
Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And so when you look at these verses here, and I, I just realize I need to wind down. Paul very definitely talks about laying hold. He talks about, just look at it, I don't mean to say that I've already arrived, but I press on. Uh, I, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. I, I forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. I, I press on. So you've got it right there. Paul is saying, action, action, action. God has taken hold of me for a reason. I'm going to take hold of God for a reason. Because I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. We sang earlier, I saw a generation. I see a generation rising up to take their place. Brothers and sisters, we need that generation. We need every man and woman and boy and girl on the field. Alive to God and alive to the work of God. So I lay hold, I, I press on, I, I strain forward to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. We can't pass off onto God what he calls us to do. I've tried that in my prayer life, passing it off onto God. God, do this. Change that. Etc., etc. And then God comes back and says, ball's in your court. Do something about it. So we can't pass off onto God what he calls us to do. Letting go and letting God may have a measure of truth to it, but not when it comes to what he is calling us to do. And we can't play the victim and blame the world. Bad things happen to us. We're in a battle, but we can govern our responses. We can govern our responses. Failure to to recognize and accept the present, whatever you're going through. Or the hope that it will go away won't change things. We need to accept our present. We need to accept and resolve our history so that we can live in the present and look forward to the future. Pain is a part of life. And we need to learn the Denial of self-gratification, as they call it. You know what the kids are like? But I want to do it now. And you say, no, go and tidy your bedroom. But I want to do it now. I want to have some fun now. Go and tidy your bedroom. But I want to do it now. Go and do your homework. But, you know. And even as adults, we can fall into that, can't we? Where we just, we want to just be, live a, a a gratified life that just satisfies that side of us. Delayal of self-gratification. If you don't take ownership of your actions, your, own, your actions will take ownership of you. We need to note that. So I'd like you to stand just now as we draw to a close. Psalm 110 says this, your people will be willing in the day of your power. Yeah, your people will be willing in the day of your power. That is a willingness to engage with God. That is a willingness to, to see recovery, to see healing, 
to see growth, to see maturity, to look forward to the purposes of God and to lay hold of them and to draw them into the present that we might be all that we can be in our generation. Just going back to Tom Pelham, I was sitting talking with him probably six weeks ago, a man who knew how to lay hold of God, a man who knew how to lay hold of the purposes of God, a man who was an inspiration in every way. I remember years ago, the, our old Pentecostal pastor, he passed away, he planted six churches in the Weald of Kent. He knew some of the old Pentecostal saints who were well known to, to, to people. Great man of God, preached the gospel, healing, etc. And when we had his funeral, I still remember that funeral to this day. Someone had written a, a song to the glory, hallelujah, uh, music. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And they wrote a hymn, and it said this, As one saint lays down his armor, so another draws his sword. His church is marching on. Yeah? One saint has laid down his armor. In fact, I can think of another one. I lost my uncle. We had his funeral last week, this last week. Another saint has laid down his armor. Brothers and sisters, there's a call going out to us today to lay hold of God's purpose. And I, I, Firstly, I want to say, what is that purpose for your life? Are there areas where you're being slothful in your personal life? That this morning, you need to resolve and say, God, I am going to do business with you like I've never done before. I'm going to get to know you like I've never done before. I'm going to get in that secret place. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read the word like I've never done before. I'm going to be filled with the Spirit like I've never done before. I'm going to seek the gifts of the Spirit like I've never done before. For those who are married, are there things in your marriage that you need to look at and say, actually, we need to face this. We need to look at this and we need to work this through with God. We need to lay hold of what God has laid hold of us for as a couple. That we might serve the purpose of God more effectively as a husband and wife. That we might be a team that can do damage to Satan and his domain. For those who are parents this morning, are there areas where you're being slothful in respect to the way you're raising your children? You know, we have, parents have a huge responsibility they're the next generation, these children, these young people. And we, there's a huge responsibility. And I don't want to underplay that. For our children to know God. For our children to be nurtured and trained in the ways of the Lord. Are you owning God's purpose there as a parent? Are you owning that purpose that God has given to you? He has given you. Beautiful children, are you owning that purpose and saying before God, I'm going to do everything I can to parent these children well, to model the kingdom to them? And then we can multiply this out in different ways. Into the workplace, what kind of employee are you? If you're running a business, what kind of employer are you? Are you owning that as what God has given to you? 
that God may be glorified, that kingdom culture might extend. For us as a church, I mean, praise God for all that he is doing. You know, it's just so exciting. This this journey that we've been on has been quite a journey. I think of last year when we, we died to the wyvern, to the riverside. We died to it. We gave it up. And then the Lord gave it back to us. And today we we thank God that we have the keys. It holds before us a great sense of opportunity, but also the need for us to own the purpose of God in what he's doing. This is our church, brothers and sisters. Let us own it. Let us serve the purpose of God in it. Let us own our community groups. Let us own welcoming. Let us own praying for one another. You can multiply this out. Talk about it in your community groups. I've run out of time. Talk about it, how you can own the purposes of God and discover more of God's great purpose for you. Let's pray. Father, oh, Father, our Father, we thank you that you are such a such a Father who loves us. We thank you, Jesus, that you died to save us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, you come to fill us. Lord, again, we pray, heal any traumas. Help us to process disappointments. Help us to be able to let go of the past, lay hold of the present, in order to seize the future that you want to give us, both individually as parents, as married couples, as a church. We see, God, we want to grasp your purpose with both hands and say, watch our enemy. We are on the front foot. We are on the front foot. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.